listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is Cup Talk for Monday, June 18th, 2018, and we are almost through the first round of World Cup games. We have two tomorrow concerning Group H, but I thought I would put this out um this morning, since I don't really see any of the top favorites in that group, um, I mean, if anything important happens, that can be covered at another time. But let's go. Um, let's go through what we've seen so far. It's been a very interesting tournament, to say the least. A lot of surprises in the opening. We expected a lot of the favorites to dominate, to show their um, supremacy, and we did not get that. This has been, so far, the parody tournament. Um, and we will talk about all of it with my guest, who will be coming on very shortly. His name is Eduardo Razo, and you've heard him before, if you've uh, followed the shows before. And this is a very special um, time for him, as his, as his team has pulled off its probably greatest victory... Well, in the terms of who they beat and where they beat them in history. So, without further ado, let's get him on the line and let's see, um, let's see what he has to say about it. Hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just uh, here, ready to, you know, talk some soccer or football. Well, yes, and you are on with Cup Talk and. Uh, let's start with the obvious. This was one of the great um, wins in Mexican national team history. They defeated Germany 1-0 on a Chucky Lozano goal. They held on to win. Let's kind of walk through that a little bit. What were your sort of emotions going into that game, during that game, and sort of how it, it, how it all sort of came together for you in this moment of, Mexico really pulled off one of its great victories, and you got to watch it live. Yeah, no, uh, going into it, I had tempered expectations. I mean, there was people saying they could win. I was more in the, if they can get a draw, much like they did against Brazil in 2014, where uh, Memo Ochoa just, you know, stood on his head, uh, that, you know, they, they had a chance to at least, you know, maybe score a goal or two and, and try to keep up with uh, Germany. Uh, but, you know, to my, I'm, I, this is one of the times where I'm happy I was wrong. Um, the, the, the team, for me, the, the, they really impressed on the counterattack. Um, I know we'll probably get into this uh, in a little bit more in detail, but the way they just, they, they didn't play scared. I mean, they, you know, a lot of teams against Germany, they tend to play scared or, or, you know, obviously they're the world champs. So they have this aura that, you know, uh, a lot of teams tend to uh, play not to lose, and I've seen the qualifying rounds where Mexico didn't look really good, but you know they pulled it off. They were able to get that that one goal, and 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 just you know they played not they played a, a little bit not to they tried to protect the lead a couple of times, but to me it's it's still unreal that they were able to pull it off. Do you think Mexico found an identity in this game? I, I I feel like when I watched them in the qualifying, they tended to have more of the ball, and yeah. they tended to be a little more stagnant in their offense and their attack. I thought the, the strategy and the game plan in this game, I don't think Germany really saw it coming. I think Germany played their fullbacks really far up. They sort of left their center backs on islands, and... Mexico was able to pick them off and counter really with relative ease in that first half. There were times where Mexico probably should have scored and didn't. Maybe yeah. even should have had more than they got. This could have been three, four goals for Mexico very easily if certain things um, went their way. And I still think that sort of shows their vulnerabilities. But I felt like they had a strategy in this game. They had an identity. They went for it. And... Just sort of talk about that, the dynamics of that counter and sort of the players like um, like Ayun and Chucky Lozano who showed up 
really, really big in this game. Yeah, they, they did. Uh, they, uh, I think the entire attack uh, showed up. Uh, the only problem was that they had trouble. Uh, either they had, uh, for example, Chicharito, he, he held on to the ball a little too long than he should have. Um, they, they should have at least had three, four goals in that first half. Uh, but the entire, you know, attack, they, they, they showed up. They, they were ready to, they were ready to, they were, they weren't intimidated. They, they took advantage of, of like you said, uh, Germany having their fullbacks way up. Um, they picked apart, um, I, a little bit their mid, they, they, they picked apart Sammy Kadira. I think he had one, I think for me, uh, he was the, they, they just took advantage of him, um. But other than that, uh, it's it still hasn't sunk in. And like I, I'm talking about it right now, I, I I always believe that they have a shot. But um, I'm st- to to, be, to to go toe to toe with with these you know European giants, these South American giants. Uh, there's always a an inferiority complex when it comes to Mexican soccer. We always believe that we can beat them, um, but you know never it never happens. Or something goes wrong, um, so it's this is why it was an emotional victory. Why you saw a lot of the players, fans, all emotional because uh, this is like a, a stepping stone for our national team to be taken to be taken seriously when it comes to playing against South American and, and European teams. And they don't get the chance to do it all that often. Just sort of how uh, Concacaf works and. This was one of those where I, I felt like as much as Mexico deserved this, and they very much deserved this, Juan Carlos Osorio was game plan this game so phenomenally and took advantage of all of Germany's weak points. But that kind of brings us to Germany. Uh, a tournament favorite. I picked them to win. It's only one game. But I just, they looked slow. Their midfield was not um, as dynamic as it needed to be. It didn't seem like they were moving the ball fast enough. And they really missed a quality number nine who could join into the attack and sort of help in the buildup and open up the holes in a Mexican defense, which is good, but it's not in any way great. And... You look at the other top teams in this tournament, they all have quality nines. They all have, um, Spain has Diego Costa. France kind of can alternate and they can put Griezmann there, they can put Giroud there. Um, Brazil has Gabriel Jesus or Roberto Firmino. Germany right now has Timo Werner and Mario Gomez. I, I think that flaw was exposed because I felt like their wing players and their attacking midfielders, which is what Germany's really comprised of, didn't have the ability to really create and feed people because there was really no one to feed. So it basically just became balls out wide and balls in the in, in crosses in the box. So talk about Germany a little bit. Um, were you surprised at sort of how void they were? Especially in the final third. Yeah, um, I mean, they're like you mentioned, their striker Timo Werner. I I don't know if the moment was too big for him. I know he. I know last year in the Confederations Cup, he looked. You know, he played against Mexico, and and to me, he looked he looked really impressive. So I was expecting that Timo Werner. I know, I think he won the Golden Boot last year. So I was expecting him to show up, uh, but you know, he didn't. Um, I'm not sure that. Uh, again, I'm gonna go back to Sammy Kadira. He was that's the that's the guy that that to me he he had a, a really 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 bad game. Um, hopefully, it's a it's a one off. Uh, uh, to me, I I was watching the Spanish telecast, uh, so I'm not sure if you're watching the English, but you no, know they're always high. I was watching in Spanish. Yeah, they're high, I, I kept hearing you know always Julian Draxler, so. Um, to put a PSG angle on this, uh, I think he had a really good game. The announcers were always—I just kept hearing Draxler, Draxler, Draxler. So you know, when you hear your, when you hear announcers saying a, a, you know, when you hear announcers say a name, uh, more often than not, uh, it's either for good or bad reasons. And Draxler for me was one of the uh, 
midfielders that stood out. Uh, they were able to create chances. Um, uh, they just couldn't finish. They couldn't. Uh, and, and I'm going to give credit to Memo Cho. He, he had he had nine saves, and I think that's the most for. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a Mexican rec- uh, record there or, or, a, or a group stage record, but he had nine saves. So you know Germany was testing him, but you know. Yeah. Uh, he stood on his head. But, you, but I would say I've seen him in more trouble than he was. I thought I, I didn't think Germany got great opportunities. I thought they got okay chances. I just didn't yeah. see them getting consistent pressure consistently in the game. And I thought Draxler did play well. I, I think he was a victim in this game of that lack of a nine because a lot of his passing was sideways. A lot of his passing was sort of linked you know, link up kind of stuff, you know, quick, you know, he got the ball and he got rid of it. And I think that's what he needs to do. I I don't think Germany benefits from him staying on the ball too long, but I think you saw what he, I think is his best quality, which is a, a guy who can kind of do a lot of little things very well and connect passes together and be in the middle of combinations and, make decent runs and make decent passes to free up the attack. His like real specialty is that pass before the pass. Like he's that he's that hockey assist type of uh, type of midfielder or attacking player. Where it's not his pass that leads to the goal, but it's the pass before the pass that leads to the goal. But also Mesoderzel, just just to make a point, Mesoderzel was was he playing? Like he he, he yeah. looked he looked like Arsenal Mesut Ozil, not yeah. Germany national team uh, Mesut Ozil. Um, yeah, going through that group just quickly, Sweden beat uh, South Korea today, but Sweden didn't look overall any way impressive. Unless Germany's just going to have a collapse, I think that it's obviously, I think, still going to be Germany and Mexico. I think Germany will figure it out in these next two games. I just don't see, you know, Sweden can stifle them for a while, but I don't think they have the counter speed that Mexico had. And South Korea is just not, a, shouldn't be a threat. So what Mexico, I think, has done is it's given themselves, they've given themselves a chance to win the group, which was unheard of about three, four days ago. And depending on how things break in Group E, that could either be a blessing or a curse because they very well may end up playing Brazil either way, whether they win the group or not. But I, I, again, I can't think. I don't think you worry about that. I think that in the big picture, I think this game shows that Mexico can compete with anybody. They may not be able to beat them consistently, but they can compete with anybody. So if they get Brazil in the round of 16, they're going to they're gonna go and they're going to give their best and they're going to give themselves a chance to win. And I think that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, uh, that's all I can ask. Uh, just have a chance, just have a puncher's chance in, in any uh, match against a big uh, you know, European country or South American country. Speaking of Brazil, Brazil um, drew 1-1 to Switzerland. Uh, the goal was scored by Philippe Coutinho. <sighs> Um, also in that group, Serbia beat Costa Rica, I would say fairly comfortably, 1-0. Um, what did you make of Brazil? They looked in the first 20 minutes, they looked very much the best team in the world. And then the game started getting a little bit weird. And, yeah. of course, it led to me having to defend Neymar, which, again, it, it becomes a stereotype at this point. I get yeah. that. But I, I felt like... I felt like there were other issues for Brazil that weren't necessarily Neymar-centric, but I'll let you, uh, before I give my two cents, why don't you talk just about Brazil and what you thought of them? Uh, like you said, the first, I, I would say the first 20, 30, 20, 20, 30 minutes, they looked like, you know, the, the, the favorites, the, why they were the favorites or why they are the favorites. Uh, a lot of ball movement. Um, they were, they were uh, having good quality chances to score. And then, you know, once they broke through uh, with the continue go, I thought this was going to, this is going to be, it's going to turn into a blowout at least because the way they were playing, I was expecting at least another two, three goals. Uh, but like you said, uh, the, the game got weird. Uh, Switzerland started to be, be physical. I mean, I'm not going to say, ass- they were borderline assaulting Neymar. Um, you know, and I'm not sure, uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, 
I don't know if you want to. He he was a little bit invisible, uh, which is why they uh, brought in uh, Roberto Firmino and and a little the the offense you know saw a little bit. I'm not sure if it was Firmino or or what have you that was able to finally you know they were they were having quality chances towards the end of the match, but uh, they're they're gonna have to. Uh, it, I think they, I think I'm not sure if they're experimenting with squads. But there's gonna have to be some changes. I I wasn't a big uh, Polino guy. Polino, I he was I I, I barely noticed him. Um, uh, who else? Uh, uh, well, they had I that. Think, well, I thought Casemiro had his moments where he was effective. But yeah, I would say I, I think there's a I think there's a bit of an aberration um, feeling to this. I think that. And again, I know it's going to sound like I'm doing the Neymar apologist bit, but this game was called very loosely, and that's not going to benefit Brazil. Neymar specifically, but Brazil even in general. Brazil is not a physical team. They don't play that way. And Casemiro gives them a little bit of that physicality, but for the most part, they're a finesse team. They're going to run at you. They're going to make pretty passes. They're going to try to get fouled. That's how they've played for 50 years. It's not like that's going to, you know, it's not like you're all of a sudden going to get a physical Brazil like you got possibly in 94 on, you know, the 94 team, which was a little more um, uh, gritty and physical, maybe not as aesthetically pleasing. We talked about that with um, Chase Hayslip on uh, uh, my World Cup project, which you can still find on the archives if you are so inclined. Um, they're going to be finesse, and it's going to depend on how the officials call the game. And depending on um, what official you got, there could have been a couple red cards thrown out in that game for foul accumulation. They didn't do that. They sort of let Switzerland do what they wanted relatively unpunished. So will that be the same in the game against Serbia, which I think is going to be fairly similar physical in in the in terms of physicality, but I do think Brazil's midfield is suspect in that Coutinho is more of an offensive player. He's not going to really support you defensively. Um, Paulinho is Paulinho. He's not he's 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 not good. He's not you know he's not good. He's not bad. He's Paulinho. And he needs a good squad around him to support him to make him Paulinho. And Casemiro is a defensive midfielder. So, it I don't know. I, I, I think their midfield could be better. I think if there's a weak spot, I think their midfield could be a little more technical, I guess would be the term I'm looking for. Casemiro is not really a technical player. Paulinho is not really a technical player. They're not maybe as good at holding the ball as you would like them to be. Hence, Neymar has to come further up the pitch to get the ball as opposed to getting it more towards the box. And I will also say that as much as I'm a Thiago Silva fan, and I, I think he wasn't more of the problem, but I would say that the, that center back pairing isn't rock solid. And I think what we learned is that there really aren't any rock solid center back pairings right now in the in the tournament. So I would say I think they'll be fine, but they really have no margin for error at the moment. Let's move to Group D, the other sort of surprise: Argentina won, Iceland won, a goal from Cunaguero from Argentina followed immediately by an Iceland counter goal, and the game fizzled to a 1-1 draw, with Lionel Messi missing the potential go-ahead penalty in, I believe, the 62nd minute. Um, Eddie, is this who we thought Argentina were? Because this is very much what I thought Argentina was. This one doesn't surprise me. The Brazil one surprises me a little bit. Argentina drawing against Iceland does not surprise me in the slightest. No, it didn't surprise me either. Uh, 
they had trouble scoring in the qualification rounds, which is why it took a Lionel Messi hat trick to 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 get them to the World Cup. So if he's not if he's not scoring, if he's not creating, then they're having they're gonna have issues, um, which is um, why I don't understand. They they left uh, Mauro Icardi at home, twenty nine goals right there. They didn't play Paulo Dybala. I, I I'm not sure if they're having trouble scoring. You know, just you have Dybala, just, just try to see what can he can create. Um, I'm not sure if, if Dybala doesn't allow for Messi to roam around, have his space. But at this point, um, they again their their scoring issues are, are showing up. Yeah, and I I sort of said this on Twitter a, a little bit, but I feel like Argentina are a team that is stuck in they're stuck in 2014, they're stuck in 2010. Like it's Angel Di Maria, it's Javier Mascherano, it's Nicolas Otamendi. It it's not that good of a te- like I think everyone looks at the at Argentina and goes, oh my god, they have so much talent, and I'm looking at it like. Otamendi, who's an average center back at best, um, the the aging Javier Mascherano, who they converted to a center back for these for the Argentinian national team. They have Willy Caballero in goal, and I and I made this point too. There are forty three million uh, people in the country of Argentina, and they cannot find one goalie better than Willy Caballero. That's hard to believe, and. Angel Di Maria was not very good. Let's just be clear. He was not yeah. very good in this game. He was um, he was losing the ball. He wasn't giving good service into the box. He just he wasn't any good. And they brought on uh, Ever Benega for some reason. That didn't help. Uh, they brought Iguain on late. That really didn't help. It still seems like it's messy or nothing. And you want to see an you want to see a national team evolve, and Argentina just doesn't seem like it's evolving. It just seems like it's standing still. Let's yeah. give credit to Iceland though, and yeah. the type of the type of style that they play, and their ability to consistently outperform their level of talent. And they have talent, but they're still clearly outperforming their level of talent. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to just switching back to Argentina. Yeah, um, go ahead. Like you said, they're stuck in 2004. I mean, 2014 and 10. They're not. I don't see them integrating new talent, like younger talent, into their squad. It's just it's it's messy, and that's it. That's that's what all they're doing. They're just riding. Uh, they're putting everything they have on Messi's shoulders, and when he doesn't, you know, when he can't, um, you know, go through, you know, pull them through, then. You know, they they're, we're able to see their weakness. We're able to see, um, you know, the, the the aging talent that this team has. But um, going back to Iceland, yeah, they 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 took advantage of. Uh, at first, they were they were trying to, well, from what I saw, they, they were they were they were attacking, but you know, they 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 played to their strengths. Their their, their defense is is rock solid. Uh, Credit to their goalie, whose name I cannot pronounce for the life of me. Um, he said he was he did his homework on Messi for that penalty save, and you know, hole and behold, he was able to uh, save. Um, but it looks to me as as Iceland, um, that's all they, they. As long as they were able to get the draw, I think they were they were happy with the result. I, and I agree. I think they they've given themselves an opportunity now. They tied their most difficult game on paper, and now they give themselves an opportunity in this group. Uh, let's talk about Croatia and Nigeria. I thought I I underestimated Croatia. I thought they were very good. I think that's a team that's played together a bunch, and they may have an opportunity here to win this group because of their. Um, I think they're a unique team. I, I I just thought they looked very good, and Nigeria looked very, um, for a uh, lack of a better term, they looked very green. They looked very young. They didn't look very composed. I, I just, I didn't, I, I think this was a, maybe a step too far for this group. Um, what did you see in that game? 
what I saw is that, uh, like you said, uh, Nigeria is pretty. It's a pretty young group. Um, I like to think Croatia. You know, their 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 midfield. It's been around together. Uh, Mandzukic, you know, savvy veteran. It's, it's a veteran group. Um, they were able to. Uh, for the most part, it was an, an even. You know, it was an even out game. And so uh, I think it was at the penalty and, and, and all that. Uh, but uh, I, I think uh, Croatia, like everybody, I, I didn't think they were going to get through. I was I was buying the Nigeria hype. But, um, you know, Croatia, just savvy group of veterans able to, to get, you know, get the job done. Yeah, I... I... I, 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 again, I underestimated Croatia. I think they're going to be, I think Croatia-Argentina is going to be a tough game. And if Croatia can find a way to win that game, Argentina's in a lot of trouble. And I could definitely see Croatia beating Argentina now after seeing how they looked in the first few, uh, the first game. Group C, France barely gets by Australia. Um, Denmark barely gets by Peru. Um, what did you think of France? Uh, I, I caught bits of it. I mean, the time, as, as I don't know if everybody knows, I had to get up at 5 in the morning uh, for like at the start of, of matches, but I do my best to get up, or at the very least, watch all the highlights. So, But what I, from what I was able to see, uh, I, I think they, t- they played well. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a, a, a very sexy win. But when when you put it in re- in retrospect to Brazil tying with Switzerland, uh, Germany losing, Argentina tying, Portugal and Spain tying, um, I would think you know the French would be happy with you know a scrappy win against uh, Australia. Yes, um, I-, I thought what was interesting about this was, and I've made this argument before, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of paraphrase it here, which is yes. Would France have been more sound in their attack if they had played Olivier Giroud? Yes, they would have. Absolutely, they would have. They would have been more centralized, it would have been more focused, and all that stuff. But, as I've made the argument, this is not about getting to the quarterfinals. And I'll call, I guess, excuse me, I guess I'll call them the quarterfinalists. And what I mean by that is the people that kind of don't see France as winning this thing, would, but in the sort of big picture would just rather not get embarrassed in the sense that they've lived through a lot of France embarrassing itself over the years. And I think there's a lot of people that want to be conservative about this and um, really play the way that they know they can play with the type of style they know they can play and get to the quarterfinals, possibly the semifinals, and be happy. I think Didier Deschamps is sort of bucking that trend a little bit. I think by playing Mbappe, uh, Griezmann, and Dembele together and trying to get them to be this sort of... um, fluid, cohesive front three that can fill in for each other, that can run off the wings, that can be an absolute terror to defenses. He's taking a risk, and I, and I never said he wasn't taking a risk, but the reward is winning the World Cup. That's the only way they're going to win this World Cup. Even with all the other teams, as you've seen them sort of not do particularly well, eventually I you, you feel like Brazil and Germany are going to find their footing, and that Spain's going to find its footing. And if France is going to actually win the damn thing, they're going to have to play a very different style. And they're going to have to play high-octane, they're going to have to play high-risk, they're going to need to play a bit of a high line, they're going to have to, they're going to have to get into shootouts with certain teams. So, for them to take the risk early in the knockout in the group stage rounds and barely squeak out a win, but still win. I thought this was a success for France. And I felt like this will help them down the line in this tournament, as opposed to thinking short term and going, we have to win this game. Let's get Giroud. Let's start Giroud. Let's make sure everyone's 
you know, doing, let's start Giroux, let's start Matuidi. I thought it looked better bringing them off the bench because they came into a game that was very different than the one at the start. Australia were more tired, Australia weren't as physical, and Matuidi and Giroud were able to take advantage of the fact that Mbappe, Griezmann, and Dembele had been running at that at that back line the whole uh, first 60 minutes of the game. So I was I was happy with it. If I if I were a France fan, I am a France fan. I'm happy with that result. I think that's a fair result for the first game of a World Cup. Um, Denmark didn't look all that impressive, and Peru actually gave a pretty decent effort. If you watch some of that game, they they got incredibly unlucky not to tie or win that game, and. I, I'm impressed with Peru. France are going to have an issue with them. And they, I think they'll still win, but they're going to have an issue with Peru. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, so I was like, yeah, I think if uh, Peru gets just... If, the, if they get any more... If they can get any lucky bounces, I think they'll... They could still win this group. Um, Denmark was... Uh, they were... I mean, they got their, the victory, but um, uh, they were just fortunate that Peru uh, was just... Yeah, they were very unlucky, like you said. Yeah, I, I, I thought they were very impressive. I thought they showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit. I think they showed that their, um, that their combinable uh, qualifying really sort of prepared them for this tournament. And I thought they gave a really good display. Um, Group B, the surprise leader is Iran with three points. Portugal and Spain canceled each other out in what I think we can consider the game of the tournament so far. And Morocco is um, probably going to be the odd team out here. Um, you watched Portugal and Spain, I assume, or at least most of it are the highlights. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it as simple to say that it was Cristiano Ronaldo bailing out Portugal against a... Spain team that was way more balanced and um, better. Is it that simple, yeah. or are we think, uh, are we doing the classic media thing of taking a complex issue and make and boiling it down to very simple talking points? Uh, I don't think so. I think he bailed them out. I mean, I, I think if if you see their defense, I mean, it's it's I I'm I don't understand why they brought Pepe back. Um, their their team just didn't look overall that impressive. Um, it's pretty much Cristiano. He 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 had to bail them out. He pretty much put him put the team on his shoulders and got them a draw. Uh, I I think that this is what uh, this is why when you compare it to Argentina, it's always the Messi Ronaldo debate. One one was able to you know haul his flawed team to, to at least a draw while the other uh, was able to I think he it, it, they, they were able to draw um, in spite of of not of him not um, having a a plus performance but um, that was one hell of a game I mean I I think Spain um, for you know the situation that they're in their manager got sacked two days before the tournament they showed a lot of of, of effort and art that you know this wasn't gonna you know be a, a forecast of their World Cup performance. I liked Spain a lot. I, I thought they were really good. I thought um, Diego Costa looks absolutely deadly right now. Like that, the first goal he scored was just an absurdly good piece of technique and skill. And they they looked the better team. I thought. I, I did think that Portugal had its moments in this game, but it really was mostly Ronaldo. And Ronaldo, for his national team, is, I would say, one of the better leaders that we have in the game. Like, I think those guys follow him. I think they love him. I think they fight for him. I think they do the, they do the necessary things to keep themselves in the game, to give him a chance. Now, if Portugal are going to do anything really significant in this tournament, they're going to have to get contributions from the other um, attacking players. And Gonzalo Guedes, a PSG player who had been on loan with Valencia this year, who 
There's been a debate about whether to buy him or sell him. I think, well, whether to keep him or sell him. Uh, you wrote an article about that for PSGTalk.com a couple a week or so ago. Um, he was not great. It's his first World Cup game. You can give him some slack. But how important is Geddes in getting a Portugal team a second attacking option, which they just don't have at the moment? Yeah, I, th- I think he's he's really important. I mean, the next uh, young player behind him would probably be Andre Silva, who uh, only had two goals, I believe, with AC Milan, and he had a terrible season. So uh, it's it's Geddes. You know, he has to bear the, the the load because it, I, I think Ronaldo is not going to be able to bail them out like that every I mean if Portugal wants to go far they're going to need help from Guedes and I think he was maybe you know like he said first World Cup so I won't like judge him too much on it but going forward from now he needs to be more visible uh, he needs to contribute whether it be you know uh, I think he's one of the better create I, I in my article, I, I, I did a little statistics analysis. Um, his creativity is one of he, – he was one of the top cre- creators in La Liga. He was right up there with Isco, Tony Cruz. So I, I expect a lot more out of him. It, it doesn't have to be goals or assists, but I think uh, him having uh, the ability to create uh, scoring chances, uh, I think uh, they need to – Portugal will need him uh, in the next two matches. Yeah, they're going to need somebody else to just sort of take the load off of Ronaldo. Because it's different carrying your team in a European championship with 32 teams in it when you're playing Hungary and all those all those type of teams. But, you know, you're in the World Cup. It's, it's difficult to imagine Ronaldo carrying his team any kind of farther than the round of 16 or the quarters. Uh, Group A will go through quickly. Russia won um, five nil. They impressed in front of their uh, in front of their dear leader. So good for them. Their their uh, their freedom is safe for now. Um, Uruguay um, in Egypt was, I guess, the marquee game of that group. Uh, Mohamed Salah did not play, and Egypt did not win. And um, let's talk about. The two strikers for Uruguay, the dueling banjos, if you will, um, Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani. Uh, neither of them scored, but I think it's pretty clear which one was better. Yeah, uh, we're not showing our bias here, but it was Edinson Cavani. <laughs> yeah, it was I clearly had, Edinson yeah, Cavani. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he. Uh, I, I think uh, he had a really clear chance where you know the. The Egyptian goalie pretty much made a, a spectacular save, um, but he, you, you could tell uh, you would you, Cavani was more noticeable than Suarez. Uh, you know, uh, but um, the whole game was just it was it was scrappy until the end. Um, you know, Jose Jimenez was able to bail them out towards the end, and obviously they'll they should have uh, relatively. Ease to probably win the group unless you know Russia has another performance like that. I didn't think I thought Russia looked. I don't think they're a threat to Uruguay in that sense, but Russia looks like a threat to Egypt. Like if I had to pick it between Russia and Egypt right now, I'd pick Russia. They just look better. Yeah, I understand yeah. it's Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia might be the worst team in this tournament. <laughs> um. I would say they probably are the worst team in this tournament, but um, I still think Russia looked cohesive enough where they can put together an honest effort against Egypt. And Egypt didn't, you know, Egypt was scrappy, but they didn't look like yeah, they didn't look like world they didn't look like world beaters either. Um, Quickly to Group G, Um, as they say in the uh, NCAA tournament, it was basically chalk. Belgium yeah. won convincingly over Panama. England not as convincingly against Tunisia, but hey, they still got the win. Yeah. Which is really what matters here. They yeah. kept pace with Belgium and they'll have a chance to possibly win the group by beating Belgium. Although 
when I saw Belgium, and I, I watched a bit of this game at work, but I thought Belgium Belgium has been good in the qualifying, and they've been good in the friendlies. It looks like they're carrying that over. And our uh, our right back of the future, Thomas Meunier, I guess if you want to say that, uh, he looked good. I, I think this is a good Belgium team. I, I think they may not win the World Cup, but I think they'll put together a honest performance and an honest effort to get there. Yeah, I think they're going to have. I think they, if, if this is how they play for the reign of the tournament, I think they can have a run, uh, much like how they did in Euro 2016, where they were able to uh, not win the entire tournament, but at very least, you know, get to you know get to the top four, get to the to the quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, but I think. Uh, uh, let's see. England, England uh, never makes it easy for themselves. So uh, I think uh, Belgium should should uh, at least uh, win this group. Yeah, I, I, and I'm going to be nice about this. I'm going to I'm going to be a good boy about this. But is Harry Kane not the luckiest human being on the planet? <laughs> I mean, you what you all? If you don't watch that game, what you say is, "Oh my God, Harry Kane had two goals. How great is he? He carried England on his back." The first goal was a rebound that literally he was standing there. The ball hit his foot. He barely knew it was there. He just had to tap it back. The second goal, he was left wide open on the back post. All he had to do was not screw it up and just deflect it with his head into the net. Like, if there is no better, there may be no better player in the history of the world at scoring from four feet out than Harry Kane. And that's not necessarily a knock. That's what he does. But he goes into this, is he this great striker? You see, that, and that's where you kind of have a diff. you know, how do you define great strikers? Do you define them as they score a shit ton of goals, or do you define them as players who can affect the game with their goal scoring, but also with their movements and with their link-up play. I look at it like he's good. He's good at all those other things, but his claim to fame is being able to score from four yards out. That's what he does. And uh, it's not necessarily a knock, although it sort of seems like I'm knocking him, but Edison Cavani's better than him. Sorry, yeah. Edison Cavani played a better game and uh-huh. not scoring than Harry Kane did with his two goals, and yet he's going to get his. Um, and I'm not even going to go dirty on that, but he's going to he's going to get pleasured for the next five uh, days. Let's yeah. put it like that. Um, about how great he is, and I, I just I guess it's I guess it's the way of the world, but you know it just I, it just doesn't sit well with me. That's all I can kind of say. Um, I guess more power to him. I don't hate Harry Kane the person. I hate Ari- Harry Kane the. I hate Harry Kane the idea or the symbol. I hate yeah. the idea of Harry Kane. I, I, I he's probably a nice guy, probably a good man, good leader, good teammate. I just don't like the idea of Harry Kane. If that makes sense. Yeah. Just like yeah, uh, no. I mean, it's like I don't like the idea of. Uh, well, I was trying, it's like I don't like the idea of Grayson Allen. Yeah. I don't like the idea of that. Like what that you know, or the idea of when if you remember Tyler Hansborough back when he yeah, played yeah. for North Carolina, or um, that you know, I, I just don't like the idea of that. It's not the p- people themselves. It's just the uh, it's the symbol least- of sort of this is the right way to play as opposed to being good and judging people on merit. But yeah, um, that's I, I, another story. Gonna, for, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, at least you're keeping it professional. I mean, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna stew this into Neymar, but um, you know, at least you're focusing on what he's doing on the pitch, and you know, not other things that you know we'll oh, get into another and podcast. Yeah, and it's not even an argument about Harry Kane, even as a player. Like he does what he does, but we can't um, we can't make him into more than that because we want to. And that, and that's where you know, and, and I'll get into this at other times. But that's where I, when I talk about narrative, that's what I mean, which is like we want Harry Kane. People want Harry Kane to be more than he is, and you don't appreciate him for what he is. You try to create something. You try to create a legend out of it, 
and use it as sort of a contrast between, oh, here's this guy, Harry Kane, who does everything right, and here are these guys, Neymar and Paul Pogba, who do, and Raheem Sterling, who do everything wrong. And it just, it, it it's, it's shameful, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so, uh, overall, has anything you've seen in the first round of games changed your opinion on this tournament? Um, do you think that that we're going to have a crazy sort of March Madness-style deal, or will the World Cup sort of settle back into what it historically has been, which is all the top teams basically make it through and then they fight it out at the end? I, I, I'm not going to go crazy over just match day one, but... Nor should you. But you know, I think... I think a lot of these club, I think I'm not club, a lot of these national team squads have, uh, all have weaknesses that can be exploited. I think there's no, uh, I think going in, the favorites were Germany, Brazil. I think that notion, I think it's it's quieting down. Um, I, personally, I believe it's wide open. Uh, no no team has, can. But no wide open, has, um, sorry, but wide open among the top teams. Yeah, wide open among the top teams. That's what. Uh, but I, I believe this. Uh, I think it's 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 going to be wide open within the top teams. There's no heavy favorite. Every team has has weaknesses that each uh, squad can expose. Um, I don't believe it's 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 just Germany and Brazil as as it was um, heading in. Yeah, and I would agree. I I, I would agree to a certain point. Um, Here's what I think, and I, I may have written this, written this on Twitter, but I feel like teams one through five are ba- basically what they've always been, with exceptions of certain teams like 1970 and 2002 Brazil, or even 2014 Germany, where I think they were just so better than everybody else that you know uh, even on any team's best day they couldn't you know they couldn't take them down. But I feel like 6 through 32, or at least 6 through 30, these teams are better coached, they're better um, drilled, they have better strategies, they're a little bit better athletically, Um, you have more players from these countries playing in top leagues than you've had in the past, and I feel like what you're seeing is... These six through thirty are giving the one through fives better games, and in football, it's one of those deals where even if you're not better than the other team, you could still draw them if you play the right type of game with the right strategies. Maybe even eke across a win. But what I don't think you're going to see uh, until probably the third round of games, which are the five nils, the six nils. Just the running over of teams. I don't think you're going to see that as much because I think there's been a, there's more parity than there's ever been, but not to the point where those top teams are going to lose and you're going to see like Sweden win the World Cup. Like that's not going to happen. You're going to still see one of the top six teams win it. It's just which of those top six teams is going to get hot at the right time. Um, Eddie, anything else before we go? Uh, I think just on a quick note, um, any, uh, uh, is there a, a PSG, I guess just an angle of it, uh, player that's impressed you so far or, uh, or, uh, uh, disappointed you? Um, I would say of the ones I've seen, uh, I thought Kylian Mbappe was, uh, we'll get to him quickly. I think Kylian Mbappe was pretty good. I, he was still sort of finding his way. It's his first World Cup game, too. As, you know, suave as the kid is, you know, he still has to, you know, he still gets nervous. You still, yeah. <clears throat> you're still 19 years old playing in your first World Cup. Like, you know, um, Di Maria wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I thought Draxler was very good. I, I We said it early on. I thought Draxler was very good. I think... Germany's going to have to figure out how to sort of make all the pieces work. But I think Draxler is one of those key pieces, and I think he'll he'll be key if Germany are going to right this ship, especially if Mesut Ozil is just not going to show up. Yeah. And especially if Sami Kadir is going to look like he's 38 years old. Um, 
Geddes has to look better. Um, we haven't seen uh, Krizigor Kokoviak yet, so no. I guess he could shock us all. But um, I feel like if he's playing, Senegal is going to run him over. I think they're like just to kind of give a preview of that, and this might come out after this game, but I think Senegal is going to run him over. I, I I really do. Poland can be physical, and if they get into a dogfight, but S- Senegal are Senegal are fast, man. They're gonna. They get in space. They're gonna have Poland. Are gonna have some real problems. Um, yeah, so I think that's about uh, that. Will about do it. We'll be back uh, with another edition of Cup Talk after the second round of games, which should be sometime on Sunday. Actually, probably Sunday night. Uh, we'll look back at the round of games and we will preview what will be the crucial third round of games where. Teams will decide their fate and if they will be going to the round of 16 or not. So, um, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, at PSG Talk. Uh, my Twitter handle is at MarkDamon1. Eddie, uh, what's your Twitter, ha- Twitter handle so the people can follow you? Sure, it's Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, 1991, Razo R-A-Z-O. So, yeah, perfect. Make sure to visit the website, um, psgtalk.com. Um, look at the Patreon page. <clears throat> and um, just on a final note, because I just remembered this, um, a shout-out to, as I'm losing my voice, a shout-out to Julian Gindy, who gave us some kind words about our um, about our uh, latest podcast, the one where I celebrate PSG's financial fair play um clearance if you will um he's a patreon member and um we very much appreciate his business we very much appreciate him donating to the cause and um we would very much like it if you would help us out um only one dollar a month so it's not a big we don't you know you can i mean don't get me wrong you can donate more but at just sort of one dollar a month, it's more of a it's more of a statement of intent than anything else, and it just shows us that we're we're reaching people and that we have an audience and we do have an audience, and that our audience is uh, with us for the long haul and uh, would wish to see us succeed. So, again, thank you to Julian Gindy for the kind words on my latest podcast. Um, very much appreciate it. Um, So for Eduardo Razo, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.